Hey, hello, Richard here again with the Nine Step Brand Builder. It's a podcast about how to build a multi-million dollar competition crushing brand. Now, who doesn't want a multi-million dollar competition crushing brand? I certainly do, and I've helped to build a few of them over the last decade. And during the course of this podcast series, I'm going to give you some insights into how, which isn't handy for you, won't it? So, uh, last week I did a bit of an introduction on the series and exactly what it's all about, and an introduction to the system that I called the Brand Arc, which is the nine-step brand builder. And it takes you through the nine steps of building a competition-crushing brand. Now, what I want to talk about tonight, and I... Just got back from a, a networking event, which was pretty cool. And I got to talk to a few people. But what I did get the opportunity to do was I got the opportunity to stand up in front of them for 60 seconds, or at least that's what they gave me. I probably went a bit longer than that. Um, for 60 seconds to talk to people about what we do as a business at Crisp and how being different is better than being better. And I talked about how in today's world, brand language is critically important in order to get loyalty and long-term brand love from your customers. Now, if you get your customers to love your brand, you've got customers for life because they won't shop anywhere else. There's no need. They've got you. You're their people. And unless you do something to break that trust or to break that love, which can happen in any relationship, then essentially you've most likely got a customer for life. And a customer for life is gold because customers for life are the best customers to have because when we're constantly trying to find new customers, that costs money. Of course it does. So maintaining customers and loyal customers equals profit. Seems quite easy, really. But what I talked about tonight, and I reckon you'll probably agree, is there are some words in this beautiful language that we call English that have become so overused that they're part of everyday vernacular and some really powerful and really strong words have been watered down and are now quite weak. And I use the following example. The word legend. Now, legend, it's, it's a huge word. If you actually look at the true meaning of the word legend, it's definitely not the same meaning now that it used to be. And I'll tell you for why. Because in my view, there are some legends in the world, you know, certainly legends like rock stars, I don't know, Freddie Mercury, for example, legend, legend of his craft, legend of his time, Pele, like legendary footballer, um, you know, there, there are lots of sports stars, rock stars, dare I say politicians, who you could consider to be legends of their time, legends of their craft, people who've had a profound effect on humanity, and have earned and deserve legend status. Tell you who's not a legend. Greg the barista that hands me my coffee every morning is a great guy, but he's not a legend. At least not to me. What he's done is he's fulfilled his role. I ordered a coffee, Greg made it, and he gave it to me. So why do I hear, why do we hear, why do you hear people Say to people like Greg, thanks, mate, you're a legend. <laughs> he's not. And do you actually think that Greg thinks he's a legend? Of course he doesn't. You say to Greg, cheers, mate, you're a legend, and it's water off a duck's back. It doesn't mean a damn thing. He might give you a wry smile. 
But that's about it. That's all you're going to get. Thanks. What if you were to say to Greg, mate, I've got a hell of a day ahead of me. And this is exactly what I need. I really appreciate you today. If I were Greg, I would feel like more of a legend because I'd just been told that than if I said, you're a legend. Because I've tailored a comment to him that's specific, it's meaningful, and it's something that he can believe in. Because he made my coffee, he did his job, I thanked him for it, I explained why it was important to me, and I told him that I really appreciated him as an individual for doing that for me, thank you. But I didn't make him out to be Mahatma Gandhi, (laughs) because the fact is he's not. But all too often, we see companies using words, big words, to describe what they think about their customers and how they behave and how they act. And they're just simply not true. And they're words that that, that someone in that organization has spat out because they've swallowed a dictionary and they've gone, that sounds great. If I say I'm awesome and I'm fantastic and everything we do is brilliant, people are going to believe that and they're going to buy our stuff. Well, they're not. Because guess what? Everyone's saying the same thing. We live in a world where customers do most of their research online these days. And by the time they get to you, it's most likely they've decided what product they want to buy. How do people decide in an online environment how they're going to engage, why they're going to engage with you, why they're going to buy from you. What is it about you as an online an online supplier, online company, that makes someone want to buy from you? It's the written language that you use in your website, in your social media, in your online advertising. All that stuff that people see repeatedly builds trust. It makes them believe that they're part of you, part of your tribe, part of who you are. They want to be part of that. They want to be part of something great. They also don't want to be ripped off. So they want to build trust. Actually smashing people constantly with sales pitches and with discounts is like taking a girl on a date and asking her to marry you. You're asking someone to engage with you and commit to you on the first date. And it doesn't work like that in real life. So why would it work like that in marketing and in business? Engagement with your potential customer is no different to engagement with someone in your personal life. You've got to build that trust. You've got to build that loyalty. So the language that you speak has to be tailored and it can't be the same for everyone because people don't respond to the same things. So the importance of picking your market, picking your particular brand of language is really, really what it's all about. If you don't pick your brand of language, then essentially you're going to be talking generically to everyone and no one's going to trust you because it's almost schizophrenic that you're trying to be all things to all people. We all know that that doesn't work. Trying to be all things to all people in any environment doesn't work. And it certainly doesn't work in advertising. People are so savvy these days. They can see through the BS. They really can. So when you're choosing what words to use, In your marketing, in your advertising, your collateral, your website, your social media, pick carefully. Pick very carefully. Use words that have meaning and relevance. 
to the people who you are trying to engage with. So I said that I would talk about this nine-step brand builder that I've got. It's called the Brand Arc. And the bottom layer of it, there's, there's three main stages, each of which have got three layers in them. And the, the, the bottom stage is the foundation. Now, in the foundation, we actually figure out who you are as a business and we figure out your purpose. People write mission statements and vision statements and once again, you can almost guarantee that these have been written just fairly superficially. In, in a lot of cases, now look, I'm, I'm not... There's a lot of good ones too, don't get me wrong. Not everybody's, not everybody's wrong. There's lots of good ones too. But, for example, um, I was doing a bit of research not too long ago for a client, and it's a professional service client. But, yeah, it, it, look, it's an insolvency company, okay? So, it's not the most positive thing to sell, insolvency services, bankruptcy services. No one really wants to have to go down that line. So, it's a bit of a service need, there's lots of people doing it though, and especially unfortunately in this economic climate, the, the competition is getting rife. So we talked to this company about what their unique selling proposition is, their mission, their vision, what they want for the business, what it is they offer that's different. And they questioned the need to rewrite that stuff. So I went online and I researched their top half dozen competitors. And I copied all of their mission statements onto a Word document. And I asked the potential client I was talking to to pick theirs out. They picked the wrong one <laughs> because they all sounded the same. All the mission statements from six companies within the same industry were almost verbatim. Now, how can a company that's, that, that, that's unique and different and trying to build a relationship with its potential customers, how can it have the same mission as the next guy? That just does not make sense. Your mission should be unique to you. Your mission, actually, should be a reasonably pragmatic statement that talks about where you want your business in the future. It doesn't even have to be something that's made public. That's what the vision statement's for. When we craft a mission statement, that has to be factual dry almost. The creativity and the aspirational stuff and the inspirational stuff, that gets written into your vision statement. So when we draft the mission, which by the way, almost falls out of the insight, because when we write the insight into the business, we talk about why you started the business in the first place, what you serve to do, why you exist, why there was a need for you to ever start this business ever, and what it is that you want to achieve. You know, what, what's what's your end game? What, 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 what is it that's in it for everyone? What's in it for you? What's in it for your board of directors? What's in it for your customers, your stakeholders? What is it that you serve to do? What's your why, as Simon Sinek would say? That's how we, we, we come to that in the insight of the business. So once we've understood the insight of the business, we can write its mission. That's its forward-facing language. Why Why you why you exist on this planet, what you want to achieve out of it for yourself, almost. Part of your business plan. So then when we write the vision statement, the vision statement is written and crafted as a fallout from the mission, but it's it's built around the mission to be a almost a paragraph or two on how we're going to achieve our mission. And it's aspirational, it's inspirational. It's the sort of thing that if you have a team, 
it should be on the wall in the office. The vision statement should be on the wall because people should know what it is they're trying to achieve. What is it that, what's their purpose? People want purpose. We're in a, a job market where there's lots of opportunities for employment these days. You've got to keep people interested in working for you. They have to have purpose. There was actually a social study done among some big companies. It was done by Deloitte's, I do believe. And this report said that purpose, especially in the advent of COVID, since COVID, purpose has become one of the things that people are most concerned about in their employment. You know, setting aside money, setting aside breakout rooms and Friday afternoon drinks and a pool table in the middle of the place, people want to understand their purpose. And it's especially important when some companies, most lots of companies, work remotely. So you've got staff that work from home that are quite often, for the most part of their working life, isolated from the team. You might have Teams meetings or Zoom calls, you might have the occasional catch-up, phone calls, etc. We certainly aren't in an environment like the one that we were, where everyone just went to an office every day and, and we all got together. That doesn't that's not the thing anymore. It doesn't exist so much. It's starting to get back to that. But it's still it's still there that people work remotely and feel a little bit isolated. So purpose is a huge thing. Your vision statement is something that your team should be engaged with because it gives people purpose. When your company's got purpose, not only is it great for your team and morale, it's great for you as a business owner, but it's great for your potential customer because they want to understand that your vision and your values align with theirs. People don't want to buy from someone whose vision or, or, or values don't align. They just don't. People are thinkers now. You know, 20 years ago, you could put an ad on TV saying 25% off my stuff this weekend and you would fill your store. That's as simple as it was. But people are deep thinkers now. They research things. They care about things. People actually want to engage with brands that they feel share their values and their purpose and their vision. They really do. There's a reason people camp outside the Apple store for the next iPhone. They don't even know what the features are. They don't care. (laughs) They're so engaged with Apple that they love the brand. They love it. And they know it's going to be a great product just because. Because they always are. Apple have actually earned that in the marketplace. It took a while. So, when you are looking to address the language that you use to engage with your potential customers... Be specific. Be different. Be engaging. And importantly, be relevant. Being relevant is harder than it sounds. It, it really is, trust me. But when you, when, when, when you are relevant to your customer, then you serve a purpose and you can build on that. Unless you've got a product that is absolutely unique. No one else has got the product that you've got. Unless you are that company that's got a product that's so unique, you don't even have to bother selling it, then you are competing constantly with people who sell the same stuff as you. 
if you go into competing on price, your competitors can match that and then it's a race to the bottom. If you go competing on quality of product, your competitors can match that and then you're not different anymore. That's why different is better than better because no one can compete with different. So the key takeaway is what is your different? What is it that you are? Not what you do necessarily even, but what are you that makes you different? What is it that you can tell people about your business that's going to make you seem so different because you are different that they will have no choice but to buy from you? That is what makes a competition-crushing brand, being different. My name's Richard Miller. This has been the Nine Step Brand Builder, and it's been a pleasure. And uh, I'll catch you next time.